There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with a stark reminder about the continued threat of COVID. Three U.S. senators announced today that they have tested positive. Democrat John Hickenlooper of Colorado, Independent Angus King of Maine, and Republican Roger Wicker of Mississippi all say they are fully vaccinated. That news comes as parts of the country, particularly in the South, are being just pummeled by the Delta variant. As we speak, Alabama has no, zero ICU beds left. In fact, it's in negative territory, with some patients being treated on gurneys in hallways or in emergency rooms. The state has now surpassed Florida with the most child hospitalizations in the country. Alabama's Republican Governor Kay Ivey declared a state of emergency last week as her state's hospitals face this nightmare scenario. But still, she stood her ground on saying there will be no new statewide mandates. Her fellow Republicans have been actively declaring war, not on the virus, but on virus protections, like in neighboring Georgia, where hospitals are also running out of ICU beds. Governor Brian Kemp is banning local governments from requiring businesses to adopt mask mandates. And in Texas, where health officials warn the current surge could be worse than anything the state has yet seen. The head of Texas Medical Center says that with nearly 20 percent of new cases in children, it's a recipe for disaster. Despite that threat to Texas children, the thrice vaccinated, newly covid positive Republican Governor Greg Abbott is blocking schools from mandating masks for kids too young to get vaccinated while he receives the Cadillac treatment for COVID himself. Cue this clip from Titanic. I'm all she has in the world. Oh. Step back! Step back, I say! Yeah, give it to women me! And children are here! Yeah. Yeah. One more woman and child! Step forward, please! Yeah. If you hadn't seen the movie, that was not his child. Hashtag cowardice. Shorter Greg Abbott, the COVID lifeboat is for me! The rest of you Texans better learn how to tread water. Which brings us to Florida where perhaps America's cruelest governor, the always mercenary Ron DeSantis, isn't promoting vaccinations. Oh, no. He's threatening to financially punish local school boards who try to enact mask mandates. And he's spending more time attending fundraisers, appearing on Fox News and selling anti-Fauci merch than even trying to stop COVID from spreading in his state. And his state is also drowning in record cases, including among school kids, stretching Florida hospitals to the limit. DeSantis's big idea is to offer already infected Floridians Regeneron pop-up clinics, like this one in Jacksonville, where you can see severely ill COVID patients laying on the floor awaiting the normally expensive treatment that's been paid for by the federal government yesterday. Look at that. 
The city confirmed that the state-run site was unprepared because of a surplus of people, but claimed they've since made adjustments to facilitate patients. Meanwhile, as anti-maskers in Miami continue to try to bully educators into continuing to infect the Sunshine State's children yesterday, two of the state's largest districts, Miami-Dade and Hillsborough, voted to defy the governor's idiotic and dangerous mask mandate ban. And a group of parents have filed a lawsuit against DeSantis and the state, arguing it violates kids' right to safe, secure public schools. Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Charlie Crist of Florida, who is running again for governor. Dr. Vin Gupta, critical care pulmonologist and health policy expert. And Amy Nell, a parent in Hillsborough County, uh, in Hillsborough County, Florida, who is among those suing Governor Ron DeSantis over masking policies in schools. I have to start with you, um, uh, Ms. Nell, because you are a parent that's really at the center of this nightmare. Why um, have you all sued and what do you hope to gain? We felt like we needed to sue because the governor is clearly not prioritizing the health and safety of our kids. Yeah, I, mean, I think What it's we're clear. hoping to gain is that, yeah, we're hoping that we can have the courts agree <laughs> with us that he's overreached his power and is usurping the power of our local school boards to make decisions that should be made at the local level. Talk about that a little bit, because, you know, the school board, you know, Republicans used to believe in small government, the government closest to the people. There's nothing closer to the people than the school board. That's that's our kids. Right. Do you feel that school boards and that parents are being bullied because they want mask mandates? I do, because if we're going to lose funding for trying to keep our kids safe, what I know that the school board members feel that their hands are tied and that's not fair. Are your kids old enough to be vaccinated? No, they're not. They're not. So, so they're more vulnerable. And I'm going to go to you, Vin, Dr. Vin Gupta, because here's the thing. Kids under 12 can't be vaccinated. There's nothing they can do. They're just sort of, you know, sort of sitting ducks for COVID if their parents get COVID or if their grandma gets COVID. I want to put this back up again. Can we put back up again this pop-up clinic? Because Ron DeSantis has decided, let COVID run through our schools. Let the kids get sick. Let the parents get sick. Let COVID run wild on cruise ships. But then we'll put up a pop-up clinic. And then you can come get expensive Regeneron that the state had got from the federal government. They're giving it out for free. But people, instead of being in the ER or in the ICU, were literally laying on the floor. This posted, it got, it went viral on Reddit. People were moaning, apparently, in, in suffering. There it is. This is, this is what uh, Ron DeSantis has decided is the right way to deal with COVID. I just have to get your reaction, Dr. Gupta. Uh, so, so good evening, Joy, and, and great to be here. Um, a few things. Uh, on schools, just to start there uh, briefly, Here's the thing. What we're, what we're learning now more and more is that if you don't have updates to heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, HVAC for short, and that costs a lot of money, Joy. We're talking about HEPA filters, uh, something called MERV 13 filters actually installed in, into the ducts. That's a lot of money for a school district in our urban city, especially, to afford. It's not like Governor DeSantis has opened up the spigot and, and is, is funding those renovations to school districts across Florida. Without that, Without that innovation, without that investment, and that's a long-term investment, what do we have? We have masks. That's the only thing we have yep. to keep our children safe in the state of Florida and in schools across the country because vaccines, as you pointed out, are not available. So let's, so let's just be clear-eyed here about the mitigation measures that we can input because there's, there's funding about the vaccines that don't exist for kids yet and masks. That's all we have. 
to your point about Regeneron vaccines, it's really odd. And it's, and, and it's incredibly strange that Governor Abbott and, and Governor DeSantis seem very willing to message on monoclonal antibodies, which I, I, I'm certainly uh, an advocate of for those who need it. Now it's uh, indications for post-exposure prophylaxis. So a quick plug, Joy, for your viewers out there, combatcovid.hhs.gov. If you're high risk or unvaccinated and even exposed, go to that website. You can get access to it. But that is not a backbone of a great strategy to get right. people through this pandemic. It's to get vaccinated. It's to, it's, it's to put up masking policies, not to prohibit those. Let, let me let me play what um, you, you mentioned masks, Dr. Gupta. Here's what Ron DeSantis, uh, I guess he was on Fox, and this is what he said about masks just today. There's not a lot of data supporting forcing kindergartners to be masked. You have this, this obsession that a little five-year-old you know, should not be able to go to school without wearing that mask for eight hours a day. And just as a parent, you know, I'm offended that the federal government thinks that they know better than we do as parents. Sorry, he was not on Fox at this point. I mean, he's on Fox so much. I just assume that's where he's always talking. He was at a press conference. Is he is he telling the truth, Dr. Gupta? No, he's not. And I'd be happy, uh, Governor DeSantis, be happy to brief you and your team. You are wrong. Uh, there is data that was just published in the Journal of the American Medical Association showing that young kids, toddler age, and, and le- those less than five who are not going to get vaccinated anywhere in, in the near future, can more easily transmit the virus joy than adolescents. So he's wrong. And, and there's empirical data now published in our best journals proving him wrong. So be happy to talk more about that directly to his team. Yeah. uh, Let me go to you. Um, I always want to call you Governor Christ, uh, Representative Christ, because you are in the unique position of having been governor of Florida, but also having been education secretary of Florida. So you were in charge of that system uh, of schools. So I am very eager to hear what you think of the governor's strategy so far. Well, I would echo the the comments of the doctor. And and Joy, thanks for having me on. Um, The governor's just wrong dead wrong and, you know, continues to pursue, you know, not having kids wear masks in schools. I mean, as education secretary, uh, the last elected one in Florida, I understood the most important thing to do is make sure that children are safe. I mean, what parent doesn't think about that when they get up every morning and their kids go away to school? I hope my child is safe at school today. Well, what's happening in Florida is we're not allowing them to be safe because Governor DeSantis signs an executive order saying that, you know, if you wear a mask in school, in your school district, wherever one of the 67 counties we have might be that that happens, I'm going to threaten you by taking away some of your education funding. But it was it got worse than that, Joy. He doubled down and said, you know what, I might even think about taking you out of office, removing you from office as superintendents or school board members, if you dare, uh, you know, to go up against the governor and say that, you know, children in our school district, whether it's Hillsborough, Miami-Dade, Broward, Nassau County, some of the others that have already done this, and they're defying Governor DeSantis because they're putting the children ahead of the governor, which absolutely they should. It's appalling. He is wrong, DeSantis. The doctor said it best. He's just wrong. I also can, can you, you used to be a Republican. I mean, you were a lifelong Republican uh, until the, the party chased you out of office for accepting stimulus money and not wanting to destroy teachers pensions. Can you get in the heads of these Republican governors who seem to think letting children get sick is good politics? Do you get it at all? 
I don't. I, I really don't. Except to say that, you know, the time I became an independent and then a Democrat, the Republican Party was much different than it is today. And, and now I, I, you know, that was back when the Tea Party was occurring in 2010. But yeah. now what we have is a, it's metastasized, if you will, uh, particularly after, you know, the reign of, of President Trump. Uh, so what are the Republican governors doing that are thinking these things that are not protecting our children that are, you know, uh, really saying that they're going to punish school boards that try to protect the children in those districts? They're not going around, you know, advocating taking a vaccine. Rather, what they're doing is saying, take the medicine after you get the disease. Well, right. thank God we have that medicine and it exists. But why don't you advocate, you know, beforehand prevention, 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 make sure that you keep the kids safe before they even get sick uh, and advocate wearing of the mask. It makes no sense except for one thing, that this governor, DeSantis, is more in pursuit of the presidency in 2024 and appeasing that hard right sliver of the Republican Party, the primary voters, to get that nomination than he is concerned about being governor. He's more concerned about Iowa votes than he is about people and children in Florida. And that's well, I wrong. People like uh, Ms. Nell, I'm going to give you the last word on this. I want to note for our audience that a Leon County, uh, Florida judge, uh, John C. Cooper, has has uh, refused to dismiss the parent lawsuit char challenging the mask mandate ban. It does clear the way for a three-day hearing next week on whether to block enforcement of DeSantis' order. Ms. Nell, I have to ask you, what will you do if the governor prevails ultimately um, and is allowed to stop schools from having mask mandates? Will you feel safe sending your kids to school? Of course not. We know, based on all reputable science, that masking is the safest, universal masking is the safest thing we have, particularly for our elementary age kids who aren't eligible for vaccine yet. And yeah. if he prevails, I don't think that's the end of the road. I think we have some other options. And it's really reassuring to hear Biden step in and say that he'll help us. And we hope yeah. that that's possible. Yeah, I will note that uh, President Biden said today, and this was his statement on stop intimidating teachers. Unfortunately, as you've seen throughout this pandemic, some politicians are trying to turn public safety measures, that is children wearing masks in school, into political disputes for their own political gain. Um, he says it's dangerous. He says we're not going to sit by as the federal government who try to intimidate teachers. So he has stood with the parents who want to protect their kids from a deadly pandemic. Thank you, Congressman Charlie Crist. Appreciate you. Dr. Vin Gupta, as always, and Amy Nell. Best of luck to you. We are all on your side. Up next, on the readout, the domestic terror threat. After a long standoff and a suspect, a, a suspect surrenders in, a D in D.C. after threatening to detonate bombs near the Library of Congress. As the government warns yet again of the threat we all face from domestic extremists. Plus, a former translator for the U.S. military in Afghanistan joins me on his desperate effort to get his family out of Afghanistan amid the growing Republican backlash against allowing Afghan refugees into the United States. And tonight's absolute war First, churning out deadly COVID misinformation to an audience that just keeps coming back for more. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. 
And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. For the past three days, the American media gaze has been fixed on Afghanistan and the potential for terrorism to rear its ugly head again with the Taliban back in charge. We've heard 24-7 dissections of everything the Biden administration did or didn't do and all the factors going into the withdrawal of U.S. troops and what it all means for Biden's political future and the future of Afghanistan and of our country. It's been remarkable to see daily press conferences and demands for oversight and constant information flowing out of Washington and the press. It sure is dramatically different, frankly, from how the country has approached the January 6th insurrection, which was, to be clear, an attempt by domestic terrorists to take control of our government, to try to install Donald Trump as president against the will of the majority of voters, 80 million of them, to be clear. It was literally homegrown terrorists attacking our democracy. Yet to this day, the details remain elusive, unlike with Afghanistan. There were no daily briefings about what happened on January 6th and why. Republicans have refused to even investigate the root causes of the assault. Some have even lionized the assailants and sided with them, even as hundreds of cases are winding their way through the courts with very little fanfare. The lack of attention feels odd, frankly, given the magnitude of the attack. The fact that it happened live on TV and that it was the first attack on our capital since 1814. What's even more confounding and frankly terrifying is that the threat isn't even close to being over. Months ago, FBI Director Christopher Wray warned that violent domestic terrorism is a threat that is growing. And six days ago, the Department of Homeland Security issued a warning about potential violence from domestic extremists, including people radicalized by COVID-19 conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories related to the big lie. Well, today, those warnings came to life. Authorities say a North Carolina man drove a pickup truck to the steps of the Library of Congress across the street from the Capitol and threatened to blow up two D.C. blocks. Police who responded to the scene observed what appeared to be a detonator in his hand. For a time, he was live streaming his rantings, suggesting that President Biden's election was illegitimate and offering to end his standoff if Biden resigned. He also claimed that he was prepared to die for, quote, the revolution and called on other so-called patriots to join him. Capitol Hill police and Metropolitan police officers, the same police agencies who were physically attacked in January by a pro-Trump lynch mob who chanted hang Mike Pence and hunted Speaker Pelosi, spent hours negotiating with this would-be bomber. The suspect, identified as Floyd Rosenberry, surrendered willingly hours later. No viable explosives were found, but possible bomb-making materials were collected from the truck. Now, what's clear, though, seven months after thousands of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol to try to overturn the 2020 election, what's clear is that domestic terrorism remains a very clear and present danger. 
I'm joined now by Malcolm Nance, MSNBC terrorism analyst, and Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney and an MSNBC legal analyst. Uh, legal analyst, sorry, I'm, I'm learning to talk today. Malcolm, I want to read to you what the Department of Homeland Security issued in its National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin. Here's what it said. Through the remainder of 2021, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists and anti-government, anti-authority violent extremists will remain a national threat priority for the United States. There are also continued nonspecific calls for violence on multiple online platforms associated with domestic violent extremist ideologies or conspiracy theories on perceived election fraud and alleged reinstatement of Trump and responses to anticipated restrictions relating to the increasing COVID cases. You've talked about that on this show, that this is the threat we should be focused on. Um, I, I, I take it what we saw today did not surprise you. But what do you make of the fact that we have so backed off that concern um, just eight months after the attack? Well, Culturally. it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing that, you know, while we're going through this paroxysm in Afghanistan on incompetence or, or lack of planning, I mean, we had the same thing at the Capitol. I mean, you know, I, I just had this debate recently on a major TV show uh, with the Republicans' uh, supposed top intellectual, where he denied that there were 40,000 people at the Trump rally. And I said, 40,000 people were at that rally. As many as 10,000 marched on the building and as many as 2,000 fought and got their way into that building. Complete denial about this. The biggest part of the big lie is phase two, right? This denial strategy that they have and believing that nothing happened. But like that funny meme goes, right? They said it was Black Lives Matter, Antifa and left wing, uh, you know, paid crisis actors, but they refused to investigate it. That naturally led by May, I started seeing an upswing back to where people were quintupling down on armed revolution or quintupling down on reinstalling Donald Trump back into power. And as we're studying January 6th, you know, and I've said this before on this show, we are headed into an insurgency that is going to be generational. These people do not believe a word that is said in media. They get their own information sphere and that creates lo lone wolf actors like we saw today. And the next one may have a real viable weapon system that he detonates. And, you know, Joyce, does it surprise you as it does me that after the January 6th insurrection, normally we would have like daily uh, what you would think we would have would be almost daily press conferences like the ones we're seeing about Afghanistan from the Capitol Police, from the FBI. You know, if this had been a, a, a Muslim, uh, you know, bunch of Muslims that attacked us or if, if the people had been black, if there had been anything other than the people who attacked us, I don't see how we wouldn't have had daily press conferences every day, constant hearings, constant information coming out. We're getting more information about what Biden knew on Saturday about um, the Taliban than we've ever gotten about January 6th. Does that surprise you as it does me? I think we have the same reaction, Joy, in the immediate aftermath of January 6th. 
I and many other former DOJ folks kept waiting for the establishment of a command post and daily or twice daily or even three times daily briefings sharing information, because this is what you typically see after far less significant incidents, and and perhaps far less significant is the wrong way of characterizing them, but that's to say anything that approaches domestic terrorism. So, for example, something that hits close to home for me, Eric Robert Rudolph, who set off a string of bombs in Atlanta and in Birmingham, Alabama, in the Birmingham case, killing a police officer. Immediately, there was a command post, and there were briefings given to the press three and four times a day around the clock updating them. We never saw any of that in the aftermath of January 6th, and it was left to the acting U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia, in essence, to finally hold a press conference days later and be a sort of um, source of information. That sort of treatment in the inter, in the um, immediate aftermath of this incident, I think, has played a role in permitting it to fade from the public conscience. That's not any blame to the Biden Justice Department. They were obviously not in charge at that point. But it is now critically important that public leadership from both sides of the political spectrum, instead of indulging whether they're lone wolves or organized political insurgents, that there just be an absolute condemnation of this sort of violent conduct and a reiteration of the fact that in America we play political games at the voting box, not with guns and, and with explosive devices. And, you know, the only reason that we know who the Taliban are is because they decided to back a terrorist group, al-Qaeda, right? They're an extreme right-wing organization that perverts, you know, the Islamic faith for for their own—to take power, for power. Here in the United States, our extremists have a political party backing them. They have the only other major political party backing them. There are only two major political parties. One of them basically backs them, right? Uh, let me look at the, show you this poll real quick, Malcolm. Uh, whether our people are concerned about extreme, about um, domestic terrorism or, and, and foreign terrorism. Are you concerned about terrorism, terrorist groups in the United States? Republican, even Republicans, 57 percent are concerned about it. Democrats, 75 percent are concerned about it. But concerned about foreign terrorism. Well, Republicans are far more, you know, they're, they're a little less concerned about that. But, you know, you can see that there is somewhat of a, of, a, of a partisan difference. But people are actually really concerned. Even Republicans are concerned about domestic terrorism in the United States. Can you get me to understand why we have one political party that has, has opted out of securing this nation from a lethal threat that the FBI, not some liberal organization, but Chris Ray worked for Trump. Right. He was Trump's FBI director, too, says is a lethal threat to us. Can you can you understand that? Well, I can understand it in the sense that we should stop referring to the Republicans as being like the Taliban. They're not. Uh, that is a unified, homogenous group. They're more like Sinn Féin the political branch of the Irish, of the provisional Irish Republican army, uh, and who represents their interest as they carried out the uh, insurgency against uh, Great Britain in the 1970s, 80s, until it, it all was settled in the 1990s. They view this as an opportunity to, to have a political warfare in the houses of Congress, which will eventually start playing out in the streets. Yeah, well, the Taliban saw al-Qaeda as being useful to them, too. They're just saying. Uh, Malcolm Nance, Joyce Vance, thank you very much. Still ahead, the bewildering backlash on the, on, the, on, the, on the right against 
our Afghan allies who now find themselves refugees from the Taliban. With one clueless Republican Senate candidate accusing President Biden of turning America into, quote, a refugee camp. We'll be right back. Thousands of our Afghan allies remain in a state of purgatory tonight, not knowing if they will make it out or face the deadly repercussions from the Taliban for having bravely supported our men and women in uniform. And while we should be welcoming them with open arms for putting their lives in danger to help keep us safe at home, they are instead facing attacks from some on the American right, who, as we've been telling you, are trying to spread fear that our Afghan allies are dangerous, even calling them invaders. Earlier this week, I spoke with Congressman Ilhan Omar, who as a child was a refugee herself from Somalia, about what those on the right might actually be afraid of. I know what some of these people are uh, worried about is that they're worried that refugees like myself, when they come to this country, will outshine them. Um, but uh, that is just their own failure and their inability to, to find success in the ways in which refugees um, have found success in, in this country. Can't find the lie. And as if to prove her point, the Pied Piper of Fish Sticks and Fox, of Fish Sticks and Fox News himself, Old Tuckums himself, responded last night, predictably attacking the congresswoman. The truth is, this is our fault. She is our fault. Ilhan Omar is living proof that we are not very good at resettling refugees. She was saved from a refugee camp in Kenya as a child by the kindness and generosity of America. And yet she has grown to hate America and the people who live here. Where did she learn those attitudes? Well, of course, in college, our colleges, we taught her to hate our country. She became worse after she got here. <laughs> Joining me now is Christina Greer, associate professor of political science at Fordham University, and Tim Miller, writer at large for The Bulwark. I mean, Christina, obviously you're right. It's an absolute failure. Uh, this young woman comes here as a refugee from Somalia as a little kid. She manages to, let's check these off, go to college and graduate with a degree, per Tuckums, and become a congresswoman. Um, yeah, I, I guess the guy who got rejected by the CIA, but does have the fish stick money, I mean— Clearly a failure, uh, as he's described it. Yeah. Right. I mean, Ilhan Omar did the thing that, you know, all of the Tucker Carlson's of the world say that she should do. Right. Come here, become an upstanding citizen, go to university, get a job and then aspire for something more. She did that. And now he's angry. I mean, I think, sadly, the narrative of this nation of being a nation of immigrants has never been true. We can look at how, you know. We have Chinese exclusion acts dating back to the 1800s. We know how we treated the Irish, the Italians, the Jewish, the Germans, the Japanese. I mean, when we think about Japanese internment camps, there were Germans and Italians in there as well. So when Tucker Carlson criticizes Ilhan Omar and, you know, obviously signaling the, the new refugees who will be arriving at our shores, uh, it's trying to scare his base even more. These are people by and large, who did not have any competition growing up. And now they're, as Ilhan Omar stated, now you actually might have to earn something for yourself. And don't be mad at me because I worked and I'm still working to make this country better. And as James Baldwin has said, we know to love America is to criticize America. The brochure of America has always been very different from the reality. We know that because of the genocide of, of Native American peoples, we know of chattel slavery of African-Americans for hundreds of years. So this ideal of America has never been a reality. And we now have way more educated people who are speaking about it in various corners of the world, not just in classrooms such as myself, but in the halls of Congress. And that is what sort of the Tucker Carlson's of the world cannot stand. That's what you and I get lots of hate mail 
uh, from people who cannot stand an uh, educated uh, black woman on television, another educated black woman in the classroom. Uh, this is what they tell us to do. And when we go and do it, now we see we have a problem. You know, Tim, the word I think that stands out to me that Christina said is competition, right, is the idea that, you know, back in the day when it was all white guys and all white guys got everything, there was no competition. So there's nothing threatening. Everybody was like you. And you figured, well, I can get all those jobs because they're like me. And it does strike me that people like Tucker have resentment that other people now have the chance to be a congressperson. Right. Um, But the people, the other people joining in this, I mean, he doesn't surprise me at all. He's Tuckums. I, I get it. That's who he is. I was disappointed. I have to be honest. I, I know Steve Cortez. Uh, I, I used to ball, you know, battle with him on my weekend show. He's a, he's a nice guy. He joined in this. He, who I'm sure a lot of the Tuckums of the world would probably, you know, get pissed if he moved in their neighborhood, said, raise your hand if you want this plane landing in your town. He joined in this. People who know better that are doing this. J.D. Vance, who essentially sort of pimped the idea of white poverty for cash and has now sold those people out and said that they're bad people. J.D. Vance writes, while many of the Afghanistan people are good people, they're bad ones too. Don't like Americans and our Western way of life. You're settling in the United States. Our country becomes a refugee camp. Is not the answer. He, in theory, knows better because people like him who were white and poor used to get looked down on by people like Tuckums. Why do people who would be looked down on by people like Tuckums join in this? Man, Joy, this this topic just fills me with rage. I, I just can't I can't even uh, contain it sometimes. Look, here, here, they're doing it for a simple reason, for the same reason that politicians and media personalities on the right and in the populist side of American politics have done this for generations. I can't give the same history lesson that the professor did, but I can tell you it goes back to Father Coughlin and the beginning of time in this country. They do it because there is a there's a market for it. Because people want it. And about half of the Republican base is calling for this and really wants it. And the other half is just fine if they get to go along with it. Right. And and that is essentially what is underpinning all of this. And and when I look at that Steve Cortez tweet, you know, I I, first I raised my hand and said, I want them in my community for starters. And and, and it just it makes me so upset at him. But it also makes me upset because these the people on that plane are going to be great Americans. Are going to be the best Americans. They're going to have the fervor of a convert uh, to the American way of life, right? And 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 they're going to go on and achieve things. And and I just it gets me even more frustrated, Joy. I just have to say this. I I I feel like there's been a, a hint of callousness, even from this administration, from people that I expect better from on this on this topic, because we have we've left these people in really terrible situations, and they're our problem. It's our problem that they're. You know, I saw this video of a young. A young guy who has his green card and he was supposed to fly here today, but he couldn't get out of the airport today because the Taliban's blocking it because they didn't we didn't realize that the city was going to fall to the Taliban this quickly. Uh, like that young man would be a great American. And, and it's up to us right now to go get them and bring them here. And then we can deal with the Steve Cortez and the Tucker. All these yeah. guys are like the scum on the bottom of our shoe. We can all deal with that politics later. This administration has got to get them here. And, and you know, they, they, can, they can leave it to me and you to, to trash, you know, all the bigots and stuff that they see as political Amen. challenges. They shouldn't be thinking about the politics on this. And I'm, I'm a little frustrated that it, it feels like they are. 
I, I, and you know what? I am far more interested in how we get that mission done that you just described than in knowing what Joe Biden knew from the CIA on Saturday. Like, actually, I feel like the media has been more obsessed with how did Biden not know the Taliban were terrible? He knew they were terrible. OK, we get it. We get it. Media, you're pissed off about the, that. It didn't go smoothly like you were when they rolled out Obamacare. We get it. But I want to know to what you want to know. How do we get them out of there? I will report for our audience. Just very quick news item. There is now a quorum in Texas. So bad things that come uh, in Texas on voting rights. Uh, but we will get to that another day. Christina Greer, Tim Miller, thank you both very much. Tonight's absolute worst is still ahead. As a certain right wing news channel relentlessly endangers the lives of its own viewers while keeping themselves safe. But first, a former Afghan translator for the U.S. military on his fight to save family members who are still in Afghanistan. That's next. Stay with us. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. Afghans marched in protest today against the Taliban in the capital city of Kabul and other provinces. A very brave move, given the Taliban's reputation for brutality. In fact, three people were killed for trying to hoist the Afghan national flag. There's been violence near the Kabul airport, which the U.S. military continues to control, as people who want out rush to escape the country. With the key to that being, do whatever you can to get to that airport. Twelve people have been killed since Sunday, according to Reuters. Still, the evacuations are happening. The Pentagon says 7,000 have been evacuated since August 14th, with 2,000 flown out in the last 24 hours. Fewer than 300 of those evacuees were American. As the evacuations continue, the challenge to getting to the Kabul airport remains very real. Afghans have good reason to fear being targeted at Taliban checkpoints on the way to the airport for their connections to the U.S. military. Kismat Amin, a former interpreter for American troops who now lives in Texas, is doing everything he can to get his family out, including his two college-educated sisters, but particularly his brother, who also worked as an interpreter and whose initial visa application was turned down. I'm joined now by Kismat Amin, former U.S. military interpreter from Afghanistan. I want to start by thanking you for doing that. That was very important and uh, very brave of you to do for us. Um, So thank you. Um, and t- tell me about the circumstance facing your brother and your sisters right now. Oh, well, thank you, Joe, for, you know, for having me on your show. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I just talked to my family this morning. Um, I talk to them every night and every morning. And I, I'm yeah. sure you can imagine uh, you know, what am I going through uh, They're, I mean, they're fine as of right now, but like they're really terrified for their life because the question is that can we trust Taliban or cannot? No, we cannot trust Taliban under no circumstances, because what exactly happened is that when the deal struck that they wanted to come to Afghanistan, they said we will reduce the violence. They didn't do it because in the last few months, a lot of civilians were killed. A lot of you know Afghan forces were killed. Now they're in Afghanistan. They say we will forgive everyone, but they're actually right. looking for people now. They have people in their custody. Um, so people are actually really terrified for their life. I mean, I, my sister were educated girls and they, one of them actually wanted to be just like you, Joe, you know, they, she wanted to be on the, uh, on the TV and, you know, serve her country. I had a brother who is an SIV applicant, worked for the U S government. And he is actually, uh, he's terrified. He's stuck there and can't go anywhere basically. 
Yeah. Well, I believe your sister will be um, on TV in this country. We're, we, I really believe that. I'm just going to go ahead and, and believe that. I want to play Richard Engel. He spoke to some other folks who were at Kabul airport trying to get out. Take a listen. They wait outside for hours until the planes arrive. Surrounded by trash, always under guard. Most arrive here already exhausted because to get here, they had to navigate through Taliban fighters who control the airport perimeter and whose idea of crowd control is using guns and whips. We've now landed in Doha, Qatar. This has been a long journey for the Afghans. It has also been a very emotional one. So that kind of gives our audience a sense of what it looks like and what it is like for your family trying to get out. I want to primarily ask you, number one, do your sisters and your brother, are th- do they feel safe having their paperwork, especially your brother, who is a translator? Are they keeping the paperwork or are they afraid to have it? And if they don't have it, how will they get admission? That's a very tough situation, Joe. Well, I talked to my mom the other day and she's actually terrified, like I said, for, for, for her kid's life. You know, she stored all her documents actually in the pillar in the house and and even I talk to my brother and I told him like, hey, there could be a chance for you to go to the airport and make it through the checkpoints and, you know, hopefully you will make it in a, in a safe place. Uh, but he said, my brother said, I cannot go to Kabul, where I'm actually from Jalalabad, which is like right. two hours drive from, from my home to Kabul. But he cannot make it because there are tons of checkpoints that he has to go through and all these checkpoints are being controlled by Taliban. So think about having a document with yourself that you work for the American force and you go yeah. through these checkpoints is the odds are that they will find you. And, and you don't know because at this point, Taliban is not like a uh, recognized you know, group or like if this was a military group, you would know who is who. But yeah. it could be anyone at the checkpoint yeah. and they can hurt you in any possible way. And let's put so, up a map just so people get a sense of between Jalalabad and Kabul, just how far it is. It's about two hours, about 155 kilometers. That's like about 96 miles. So it's, it's right. It's a significant distance. Have you gotten any assurances, given your service and your brother's service to us, from the Biden administration that they will expedite? Because they've said they're expediting these applications. Have you gotten any assurances like that? I mean, to be completely honest with you, nothing so far, but um, the whole thing is just a chaos right now because people wanted to come to, they want to go to the airport, but they cannot go to the airport. You could be, because like I think in your previous show, when you had that gentleman on your show, he said there was a person with a green card and he wanted to get on a plane, but he was not able to make it to the plane because these it's such a chaos there. And you see people are shooting, you know, Taliban are shooting at people. Uh, So at this point, I mean, I have not got any sort of assurance from the government or from the administration to assure me that, hey, you know, your brother or your family will make it. But uh, at this point, I'm just hoping, you know, having a conversation with with you guys, having a conversation with, you know, with other folks and, you know, trying to pull all the contacts or the connections that I have in the U.S. to kind of figure out what do I need to do at this point, because the family is literally stuck there. And and yeah. and it's 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 so hard to kind of like a process the whole thing because it, it all happened in a matter of a couple of days and 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 these people are not like i said they don't keep their promises they don't live up yeah. to their promises uh, they're look i'm sure you read the uh, report this morning from un they're actually looking for people's houses they want to go into your yeah. house and search for documents for any possible thing they can so that is really really scary 
Yeah, no, it's terrifying. And listen, I'm hoping that seeing you on this show tonight will help you in any way. Um, we are going to be praying for you, your brother, your sisters, because we want your sister to be here on TV. I want her to come on with me. Um, and uh, we're just going to wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Kismat. I mean, we are going to be sticking with your story and following up. Um, and stay right there, because tonight's absolute worst is straight ahead. As a certain cable TV news network reaches new heights, really new lows of hypocrisy, while simultaneously putting the health and well-being of its own viewers at risk. That's next. Sean Hannity, who hurt you? I ask because in one week alone, you hawked my pillow products while talking about Americans stranded in Kabul the same day that you let a con man come on your show and say that the Taliban, created in 1994, has been around for 1,000 years. But it didn't stop there. Oh, no. Last night, you had on another con man deeply committed to making the pandemic worse, and that was Baby Maga DeSantis who is now opening up Regeneron pop-up clinics while at the same time fighting prevention measures like vaccines and masks. Those clinics, did you call them? Let's look at one of them again. Take a look at this. This photo went viral on Reddit. This person is apparently very sick, lying on the floor of a clinic, these pop-up clinics at the Jackson Public Library downtown. I repeat, a library. Why aren't these people in the hospital? Isn't that the question Sean Hannity should be asking? Rather than promoting this kind of sort of sketchy situation pushed by a governor no one ought to trust regarding COVID? Because, Sean, you know that COVID can kill you. I mean, your company knows it, too. Per an internal memo, Fox News is mandating employees like Hannity's own producers to enter their vaccine status in a database. So I guess, is it the insatiable thirst for ratings or validation? I mean, maybe it's money. Whatever the reason this is what Fox News and DeSantis have done. Neither Hannity, nor Tuckums, nor Laura Ingraham and the rest of the filthy rich Fox News hosts, nor any of their wealthy friends, none of them will ever have to lie dying on a library floor begging for Regeneron. Y'all will never be refused a hospital bed. Your bills are covered. Your king got COVID and got flown to the nation's best military hospital in a helicopter to receive all the Cadillac treatments available. Money was no object. Most of your viewers, they don't have that luxury. They aren't going to get Regeneron because they can't afford it. It's $1,200 a shot. And that is why the Fox News hypocrites who are pushing anti-vax, anti-mask lies, and expensive COVID treatments that most of their viewers can't afford and will never get instead of giving them useful and powerful and using their platform to give them free information on free prevention, they are tonight's absolute worst. And that's tonight's readout. Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow.